So hello, I am here with Don Savisky, who is the former superintendent of RSU2 in Maine, and um, former, say it for me. I was uh, superintendent of instruction at the deputy level, so there we go. I yeah. mentored the commissioner about education. Fantastic. So many people who are here at INACAL and who pay attention to personalized learning in general know who you are um, and know some of your work. And I know that you've often been called upon to talk about personalized learning and um, your story and the story of RSU2. So I think we could probably start there with what, how did you come to believe that personalized learning was the way we needed to move in education? Um, <clears throat> I had been a, an assistant superintendent in Wisconsin mm -hmm. and uh, became a superintendent in SAD 68, which was Dover Foxborough. Yeah. And I attended a summer institute at home uh, on how to, be, how to be a superintendent. Right. And then the next summer I attended one on uh, performance assessments and instruction. And those two three-week experiences just opened my eyes about what could be versus the status quo. Uh -huh. And as a superintendent, I was giving diplomas to people who could not communicate, right. could not even be ambulatory and walk across the stage by themselves. Mm -hmm. And I had to do some real deep ethical reflection on what a diploma meant. Right. So after four years in Dover Foxcraft, where I was superintendent of a K-8 system, and then worked with the private school Dover Foxcraft Academy, um, I came to Haldale, SAD 16, in 2002, and they had a similar conversation going at the elementary level. Right. I hadn't done anything yet, but they had a conversation, which was very interesting. And throughout my whole career, it's challenged me to interpret the fidelity uh -huh. of conversations. Uh -huh. A lot of people think they're doing it. A lot of people think they're very good at implementing. Sure. And yet, they're still doing things that are detrimental to the learning process. Right, right. I, I have visited a lot of schools in Hampshire and Maine in my role as a consultant and then as a deputy commissioner. And they were professing to lead the discussion and lead the implementation, and yet they were still ability grouping, they were still tracking, mm -hmm. and they were still discriminating. Right. And I just took up the cause to say, we've got to stop doing things that don't work. Right. We've got to stop being the barrier to the learning process. Yeah. I had a personal mantra that uh, I followed. It said, all kids can learn to high levels. Success breeds success. And schools control the variables. And the variables are, who ever thought age-based grouping? 175 days of school. Textbook progression in-service days made a difference. When my three children were born, I questioned their own DNA. I wondered if the hospital had made a mistake because they were so different. And 
as a teacher, I would look across my classroom and say, these kids are everywhere on the continuum. It's as if I have to take 25% of them and teach one lesson, 25% another one, 25% yeah. another one. Yeah. And started doing it to survive and be effective. And later on, that was called differentiation. Exactly. Yeah. What did you teach when you I, were in, in the classroom? My first lesson, my, my first position was a teacher of uh, mathematics in junior high. Uh -huh. That later became became middle school, but yeah. it was seven, eight, nine. Right. And I was primary eighth grade. I had one seventh, one ninth, and three eighth grade. Yeah. But what lingered in the history of my mind and the relationships that I built were the application projects yeah. rather than the cerebral thinking. Right. So we had a buoyancy lesson, we had a wind propulsion lesson, and we built styrofoam meat tray, pencil mass, paper sails to float on the one inch deep aggregate roof water. Right, right, right. And you have 70 to 80 kids stay after school. To do it. Yeah. To do it. Yeah. And it was cool because we all got in trouble with the principal. <laughs> he saw the kids out on the roof retrieving their boats. Right. And he came up and he looked in the classroom and he said, It's 4.30. What's everybody doing? <laughs> right. And they turned around and said, We're having boat races. Yeah. What's wrong with that? And he said, This is dangerous. You guys could fall off. And later as a principal and superintendent, I've had to empathize with that because you sure. stop thinking about liability. Yeah, sure. Not fun. <laughs> That's true. But those kids so appreciated the relationship. Yeah that strange things happen. When I moved out of Pittsfield, they helped me move to Wisconsin. Yeah. When one of them died tragically in a motorcycle accident, I had to be a pallbearer and I gave the eulogy. Yeah. And they loved me for life. Right. Because of that relationship. Yeah. So in 2002, we started developing this whole student-centered learning project, standards-based curriculum. Yes. Stop ambushing kids in the classroom with lessons they never heard of and make all the, all the curriculum transparent. Yeah. So we got K-12 teachers together of single subjects and we documented what we were right. doing. Right. And we discovered we weren't doing any physical science for six years in a row. And they couldn't understand why people didn't sign up for physics in high school. Right. And it, it just little things like that was the variables yeah. that schools controlled. Right. And then we looked at the length of the period, the silos that we created in curriculum, we looked yeah. at all the things that were status quo. And we started changing. And the high school teachers wanted to know how to engage kids. And they said they heard, heard something from learning about learning centers. Mm -hmm. and the kindergarten teacher said, we'd be glad to show you. Right. Come down and do a peer observation. We'll yeah. show you. We said, all right. So the relationships of teachers yeah. was improved because now they were sharing their trade. Yeah. Kindergarten teaching senior teacher. And that was an ego. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it went well. It okay. went well. And then uh, we got ready to move it into the middle school. Yeah. And we went to the public and the public said, it's a no-brainer. You guys are doing it in the elementary school. Just move it into, just take one grade level and keep yeah. it going. Yeah. So fine. We have three years of that progression right. in a six, seven, eight building, which was contiguous with the high school. 
And then when we wanted to move it into the high school, there was a huge fear factor. Of course. Yeah. Right. What are the colleges doing? Yes. And yeah. my kids not going to be able to do this. Right. And, you know, if you're going to stop listening to their voice and stop making education fun, what are they going to do when they get to college? They're going to expect the same thing. And college isn't like that. So right. you're doing a disservice to them. Right. You know, instead of averaging, the metaphor, the example I use is a 90, a 90, a 90, and a 10. Yeah. It's 280 divided by 470. Good enough. I can move on. No. Yeah. That 10 is going to haunt you. Yeah. It's going to haunt you. It's going to cripple you. It's going to confuse you. It's going to make you angry. Right. And I showed them the progression of what happens to sophomores. Uh, in the sophomore year, well, basically in the middle school years, uh, my hormones are going crazy and I'm forgiven. Oh, yeah. and, and I'm doing this and everybody understands yeah. I'm crazy. And then I hit the freshman year and I'm a low person on the totem pole and I have to go underground to survive. But it's my sophomore year, I start stepping up. Right. And I discover mathematically I can't pass. I don't understand what's going on. Right. Is that 10. And all those different the holes in the cheese are driving me crazy. Yes. And I don't understand what's going on. Right. So I drop out. Yeah. So I started looking at uh, how we teach instead of how they learn. And it was a spray and pray. It was a stand and deliver. Yeah. It was, I hope you get it. And let's, uh, let's just keep going. Right. And I said, no, you have to check for understanding. So we brought an organization called Research for Better Teaching. Uh -huh. into the district and we did Methods 101. And the question I asked teachers was, when's the last time you took a Methods course? Right. Uh, 1972? Right. Uh, and the things have changed a little bit. Yeah. Maybe you could use some more skills. And sure enough, they all signed up. They did. And yeah, good. They, they signed up for 25 at a time. And then we cut it off. Right. So right. we had Skillful Teacher 1. Yeah. And then I said, can we keep going with it? And then we had Skillful Teacher 2 and Skillful Teacher 3. Yep. And we had 100% of the district do level 1, 75 do 2, 50% do 3. Mm -hmm. And they became addicted to innovations. Right. And then we started looking at the structure. So in 2007 and 8, we tried to move it into the high school. Yeah. And we had three years of intense public conversations right. at board meetings. Slowed it down, on huh? The, on the street, in the supermarkets. Yeah. My wife refused to go shopping with me because I never completed. You, know, you never get everything on the list. I got these intense <laughs> conversations. Yeah. But lo and behold, after I left the superintendency and looked back at it, I was introduced to uh, another one by Harvard Grad School teacher by the name of Ron Heifetz. Mm. And Ron Heifetz wrote a book called Leadership on the Line mm -hmm. to say, if you're going to make culture change in a community, invite dissidents. Yeah. Invite everybody in. Take your time on step one. Make sure that everybody has a chance to share what's on their mind and complain or get their questions answered. So be laborious. Right. Teachers are chomping at the bit to implement Almost to the point of mutiny. Right. So I had teachers saying, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Right. And I had parents saying, no, you're not. Yeah. And I had a board saying, let's wait. Let's keep let's keep educating our public. Yeah. 
The worst thing public educators do is educate the public. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. we had public forums, we had small yeah. group discussions for three years. Yeah. And finally, we moved it into the high school. Was there was there a particular turning point or was it just you know what I mean? Like like is there any like one thing that was said or one meeting or like one anything that tipped it over or was it just more of a gradual finally everyone okay we can do this it was evolutionary it was evolutionary yeah, yeah the tipping point was students aha uh -huh. we had student led parent conferences yeah and a young man was standing up introducing his parents to his teachers right. and he opened his portfolio started showing his parents and his father pushed the portfolio away yeah. and said, so just tell me how he's doing. And the mother said, well, I want to know how he's behaving too. Yeah. And the young man said, mom, dad, chill out. This is my conference. I brought you here. Amazing. I invited you here yes. to meet my teacher, yeah. my advisor, and this is my conference. So I'm going to show you my portfolio, my collection of my evidence of yeah. mine, and then I'm going to ask you for some help because there are a couple of subjects I need some help with. Yeah. It was a hush. Yeah. I've never seen my son be so responsible. I, who is this? What did you do to my son? <laughs> right, He's right, usually right. very sassy. Yeah. He's typically juvenile. Yeah. No, he was responsible. Yeah. And he educated his parents. There was a collective sigh of relief yeah. when parents finally listened to their own children, their own children. about how to learn in school. That point happened, we moved it into the high school. And it was at the last board meeting of SAD 16 yeah. that the six board members voted to move it into the high school unanimously. That's amazing. Three years of intense yeah, right. conversation. And they voted, that was the end of SAD 16 in June. Right. In July, we became RSU 2. Yeah. Start over. Oh, seriously. So we had a board retreat in July. Yeah. And the board reported to a, a conference center. And we had uh, some deep conversations. I had a superintendent from Bering Straits, Alaska, speak to the board. Yep. I had had the board read the Global Achievement Gap by Tony Wagner. Mm -hmm. And then we had each administrator uh, read butcher block paper saying, this is where I believe the building is, and yeah. these are our goals for next year. Yeah. We need a vision to make sure that all our goals align. Yeah. So after dinner that evening, the board met, principals went home. They had an intense discussion amongst the six of them, plus six more from the RSU. Right. So we had 12 members at the retreat instead of six, just yes. all day. Unanimously, we want to move towards a student-centered learning environment. And I said, it has taken SAD 16 seven years right. to get to this point. How can you do it in seven hours? Yeah. And they said, it's the right thing to do. It's a moral imperative. Good. It's not about a thing. Right. It's about a philosophy and how to treat humanely, how to develop every case. So the compelling question was, how can this district maximize the learning opportunity for every child? 
Nice. So, so when you think back on that, that, that journey and then kind of where you've gone since then and what you've seen, um, we're still in that building phase in most of the country, right? in most of the school districts. So what is it that you would say to, there are, I'm sure there are districts here today that are just like, you know, in the initial stages and feel that moral imperative, right? And then they're gonna go back and try to get this off the ground. So what, what are like the, the one or two, the big doo-doos you would say to them, the most important things to keep in mind when you, when you start heading down this path? Well, it's not about CBE, it's not mm -hmm. about personalized learning, it's about doing it right. And the moral imperative is R to the third time. Yeah. Math, physics, yes. civil engineering, <laughs> I think linearly. And it's about relationships, relevancy of curriculum, and then finally rigor. Yeah. And rigor isn't more of the same. Rigor is a taxonomy. Right. And the relationships are essential because if I like you as my teacher, I'm going to learn from you. You just give me courage yeah. to step out. You stretch me. You say, you can do better. Oh, I don't want to let you down. Right. right. Okay, I can do better. I can yeah. do better. And then the relevancy. I am currently processing in my own head whether we should have the curriculum and let teachers interpret it or we should have differentiated curriculum. According to the cultures of the kids that come into my room. So I'm a consultant for some schools in Arkansas, Little Rock in particular. And of the four high schools in Little Rock, three of them send their disinvited, for whatever reason, drugs, fights, whatever, uh -huh. to Hall High School. Huh. Hall High School then has the bottom quartile, and they are not improving their test scores. Right. These three high schools improved their test scores because they got rid of they got low rid performance of them, and you right. average and it floats the boat. Yeah. So they said, well, what can we do? Yeah. And I said, you're not paying attention to kids. You're not listening to kids. What do you mean? They come to school for protection. They come to learn. They come for school for um, protection from the gangs, protection from abuse, protection from the police. Protection from one another. They haven't eaten. They're not thinking about learning. Right. Yesterday's lesson doesn't exist. There's no. no prior knowledge. There's no executive functions to, yeah. to try to figure out how to find my next meal, to date someone, to sell some more drugs, get rid of my weapon. Right. Those. Those are things they think about. Yes. And the teacher says, so what's the adverb in the sentence that we're talking about? I could give a rat behind. Yeah. And I've watched teachers try to teach, and the kids just get up and walk around like doesn't even exist. Right. And they don't exist because what's happening isn't in their world. Exactly. And when called upon, their reaction is one of defense. What? Yes. What are you picking on me for? Right, right, right. So just ask you to participate with us, right. that's all. Right, but that's there. They live in that perpetual state of anxiety and, yet, and flight. He went yeah. into a social studies classroom where he was teaching the amendments to the Constitution. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he made it relevant. Yeah. He said the Fourth Amendment, I don't know if it's Fourth or Fifth, whatever, he said it's search and seizure. Now I need somebody to participate and be a police man. Yeah. I need somebody to be a victim in a car. 
and we're going to act it out, and we're going to teach you how to behave properly. Mm -hmm. You get pulled over. So they get in a chair, they pretend they're in a car, the policeman comes over and says, open up your trunk. And the driver, teenage driver says, sir, uh, I understand that you need probable cause, that I really don't have to open my trunk, but I'll be glad to. Could you give me the probable cause? Well, the CVS down the street got robbed and a white sedan drove away. You're driving a white sedan. That's probably cause enough for me. Yeah. Oh, well, that makes perfect sense. Thank yeah. you very much. I'll be glad to open the trunk. Open the trunk there. Anything else you'd like to look at, sir? Yeah. Now, all right, go ahead. Yeah. He had those kids in the palm of his hand. Right. And they were 100% attending. And they were 100% listening. And they were watching and learning. They will never forget that men. Then he went to uh, harboring the military. But oh, yeah, if, that's an interesting one. If the military comes into your house and wants lodging, you cannot refuse it. Yeah, well, my father is saying, get out of my house. No, it just, and he explained it to them, and why during the Civil War, we didn't have quartermasters, we didn't have supplies, and they could go into your house, sleep in your bed, you would gladly sleep on the floor and you'd give them your food and they'd be off. Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't shoot them in the back as they left. And, oh, is that where that law came from? Yeah, but it's an amendment to the Constitution. That's why it's not going to change. And he explained it all to them. They left the classroom, they went into the hallway, they're still talking about it. They go into the math classroom, they're still talking about right. it. Well, what would you do if he came into your house? What would your dad do? I know. And on and on and on. And it became disruptive education because they were talking about it. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's what we want. That's what we're trying to do. 